Today on Rolling with New York Mike. Let's stop this war. Let's stop the killing. And, and yeah, everybody's okay, it's up to Putin to stop it. Well, then who are we? We're just going to feed, feed this war machine, or we're going to push Putin to stop it. Welcome to Rolling with the most patriotic man I know, my husband. And now, his podcast, Rolling with New York Mike. Get on the ride. Okay, and welcome to Rolling with New York Mike. That's me. Rolling with New York Mike. I'm, I want to be rolling. I'm still thinking about Daytona. Man, there's so much to talk about. Every one of these podcasts, I have so much to get to. And, and you know how political I am. I want to get to that. But, but I, I just want to spend a minute on some, some, some motorcycle stuff and maybe a couple of personal things. So still thinking about Daytona. I'm trying to justify going to Daytona. I love going to Daytona. We're going to Daytona since the 70s. Daytona is so much a part of the, the biker culture, the, the lifestyle, the, everything about it. And, and especially back, back in the day. I never went. I think the last time they raced on the beach the Daytona 200, that's that's the reason, that's, that's the centerpiece of Daytona Bike Week. And they had the big race, the Daytona 500, the big car race has been, I don't know since when, but the Daytona 200 started back in the in the 40s and it would race along the beach on the you know on the sand along the along the waterfront on right on the sand up on a1a and then around and it was turn one turn two turn three turn four i mean all this stuff you can't explain it but in 73 was the last year then they built the, you know the the beautiful amazing daytona speedway and and took it off the beach so I, I mean, you know, it's been going on for a long time, and it was at one point, it was all Harleys and Indians racing on the sand, getting on the beach. And then, of course, these other brands started coming into America. Indian went out of business in 1953, so it lasted another 20 years with just older Indians and Harleys. But it just had this history, and then the foreign brands came in. I, I They told me, I think, the last... Actually, the last Harley was on the beach. I don't know. I'm kind of confused. In 73. And whenever, it's it, it just the culture of, of Harleys, guys on Harleys, bikers, riding to Daytona and hanging around Daytona during Bike Week because the for years that I was there, there was no Harley. <laughs> there was no American motorcycle on the track participate in the, in the Daytona 200. Now, I bought San Diego Harley-Davidson in 1993. I forgot the year, but we won. The day, uh, San Diego Harley-Davidson won the Daytona 200 twice back in the 50s or the 60s. Oh, for crying out loud. I, 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 I almost can't remember all the names and dates and details. That's just the way it is. But that was one of the claims to fame of how great San Diego Harley was. It wasn't just the fact that there was a great rider. It was also a great tuner. There has to be a team. Everything, so much more is a team sport. I don't care if you see someone out there on the tennis court. They're banging away on the tennis balls. It's all them. But it's not. It's a team. Yeah, the player, he's the, the main, he or she. But, and the same thing in golf or any other. You see a person, you see in a race, you see the driver, the rider. But there's a team behind that. And that's kind of what it was like 
And w- one of the reasons why San Diego Harley Davidson had such, I mean, it, it, it was Floyd MD from San Diego back then, and his son Don MD. I mean, I remember Floyd MD was one of the characters. He's passed away so many years now. What a great guy. And of course, Don MD, his son, also won the Daytona 200. I think he's won it several times as well. Not on an American bike. <laughs> I don't know how Floyd would have. Well, I I I was I, I didn't get between Floyd and Don, but Floyd. I, I used to love what a character he was. What an amazing guy. What charisma. And he used to tell me stories about him riding his Harley, delivering whatever plans, I think it was, in San Diego over from El Cajon to National City and evading cops. And <laughs> just and, and then when he was riding for Harley, and the bike would break down. And you, you ride one of those races, especially back in those days. You're on the sand, you're on the beach. You ride around, you're back on the concrete. And it's, I mean, these things, breakdowns were common. And the bikes broke down. Yeah, Harleys and Indias broke down a lot. Did other European brands and Japanese brands break down as much? I mean, technology kept on getting better. And we didn't have it here in the States the way they did. All the government subsidies and, and not only in technology but the money and everything else so the breakdowns were coming and floyd would tell me the stories about how harley if he, if he didn't win the race he wouldn't get the, the winning money and but indian said if he broke down while he was ahead and the bike broke down so it wasn't his fault they'd pay him the winner's share of the, the race and he switched to Indian. <laughs> that was that was the reason. It's always good marketing. This it's the same thing. It's all about teamwork. It's not just the bike itself. It's not just the rider. It's not just a. It's the team behind everything. And when I go to Daytona over the years, I mean, yeah, it used to be just recreation to be amongst the hardcore biker crowd that would be there. It was fun. The bars were they were. <laughs> Real, everything was what it was, man. I remember Main Street in Daytona, you had the Iron Horse. And the Iron Horse was a a little place, but you could ride your bike in and actually do a burnout. And (laughs) inside the bar, yeah, that that was the Iron Horse. And I don't know what year it was. But I was down there, so it was in in the 80s, I guess, late 70s, 80s, and they kicked them out of downtown for something. I don't know. Maybe it was because of the burnouts. And then they opened up the Iron Horse over on uh, on US One, where it is today. And everybody else followed suit. The broken spoke. Everybody's down there. So it's, the tradition continues. So I love going down there. Now, when I owned San Diego Harley Davidson all those years, I would go there not just because oh this was a great place to be it was it was a great place for me to see what's going on in in the industry i'd see what guys were writing us get opinions of people from around the country everybody thinks everything comes from san from california and then goes east a lot of stuff i i was surprised when i moved out here that california wasn't the first in everything there were a lot of things about the, the biker world that i thrived in lived in California wasn't as hip, maybe in some of the colors, <laughs> some, some of the things. But there was a lot of things going on that came from the East Coast and moved West. And it's still it's still that way in, in about, about a lot of things. So I go out there and I see the trends, trends in what, what people are buying. The motor clothes was important to me as well, owning the business, as well as what people 
were thinking about bike-wise. And so I'd get a good sense of it and go year after year. And, and of course, I want to be a part of the motorcycle lifestyle. I want to gather together with other bikers to create that united front and, and fight for bikers' rights. Like That's why I love the MRF and what they do and all these debate organizations around the country. We get together and do that and travel through the country and, and spend time, meet people. I think it's so important to be able to do that if you, if you want to further this lifestyle and especially if you're in the industry industry which i of course was so i did that and and i'm thinking you know it, it's a lot you know you get there and everything is more expensive during five week naturally the same thing same thing in sturgis it's just where it's natural it's the way it is go to laughlin i remember laughlin i hated laughlin you know you go to laughlin you get a room for 20 bucks but during laughlin bike week <laughs> It's 120 bucks. I mean, that was a ripoff of it. That's a whole different story. You'll have to, you'll read that one. You'll read about that in my book. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bigger ripoff. But nonetheless, this is how it is. And with everything going on in the country today, including everything in the motorcycle world, because here's Harley Davidson talking about electric bikes being 100% electric. No, I don't think so. But not in my lifetime, sir. But not in the next generation or two either. And I don't, I don't understand it. Didn't like it when, you know, Newsom, you know, the governor of California announced, oh, we're going to have all electric cars by 19, by 2035. And now Harley's saying, the same. that's bullshit. It's not going to happen. I drive an electric car. I had to do it for myself. Now, I didn't do it to, to find out. I did it. Then I found out that the grid is not going to handle it. It's not, it doesn't handle it now, and it won't handle it then, and the problems are just going to get bigger, and I don't think they're going to solve them. I mean, the problems that I initially saw, the problem of how long a time my car gets 300 miles, how many miles will you be able to get on a motorcycle eventually on cars and trucks? Will they be able to extend the miles that drive on a battery charge to 400 to 500? Don't know. And, and the charge itself, 8, 9, 10, 12, 15 hours depending on the charging. So it's a ripoff because it costs as much money. You're going to spend 12 hours on a, on a, on a charging hookup? That's going to cost you money and time and all the rest of it. So and it's not going to get better. The more electric cars are out there searching for these charging stations and sucking up all the, all the power that they can get, the more expensive it's going to get. So, and on and on and on. So when, when the uh, CEO of Harley-Davidson says they're going all electric, I, it, 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 one, number one, why? Why do you make a statement before you have the product? Why don't you get even a little closer to that product? So, so what am I going to hear when I get to Daytona? I think I know what I'm going to hear in Daytona. But what am I going to hear in the rest of the country? So I'm thinking between that and the fact that they're now bringing in two bikes made in China. What's up with that? So, yeah, I, I debate. Am I going to hear more because of the savvy, the in the weeds nature of the person that is part of the lifestyle and, and has an opinion? You know, clearly about something like this. Am I going to hear more from that person in Daytona, right in the heart of, of the culture right there? Or maybe if I go to a different place and I talk to people and dealers along the way where I know things are going on that may give me a different opinion than just from those so immersed. I don't know. 
I'm thinking about it. And there's so much I have going on here right now. Being out of the industry, not owning San Diego Harley-Davidson for over two years now, almost two and a half years, I'm getting immersed in other things. And do I have, can I justify two to two and a half weeks on the road and that kind of money? Well, I can because I, I do consulting work and I need to, to have my, to get that background. I need to get that feedback. I need to get involved in, in order to be knowledgeable. But where am I going to learn more, get more, get a better feel? In Daytona or outside of Daytona in places where that's the question. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. I've been immersing myself in the culture and history of Harley-Davidson motorcycles by being in the midst of Bike Week, when I might get a better sense of the Harley-Davidson world by stopping at dealers out of the loop to find out what the less committed, but maybe those even more important, less committed, but more important, Harley-Davidson stakeholders, what they're doing what they're planning on buying, they're let, let, you know, the less committed. It, it's true. The the ones who are as committed, you know, being in 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 at Bike Week or or Sturgis. But what about the ones who are less committed? What are they doing? What's their buying plans? How are they reacting to the 120 anniversary? I think Harley's doing some cool things, man. I love the design. I love the bike. I love the fact that they're making them rare. They're available, but they're rare. And, and all this while they're experiencing this rising inflation, crazy, crazy interest rates. I don't know. Uh, do they have lower expectations with a, a common recession, military tensions around the world? We're going to talk about that. Job insecurity. Harley-Davidson marketing the electric vehicle and bikes made in China. I don't know. There may be an alternative route for a better, at least a more viable perspective on all this. And at the same time and expense, it's interesting how what's going on in the, um, we'll call it the master culture, affects what's going on in ours. Um, how does, yeah, that's the other thing I was thinking about. How does the demasculization, we talked about that the last podcast. No, we want to remasculize you know, this country. When you talk about toxic masculinity, is that a badass dude on a loud, tough-looking Harley Davidson? Is that is that the epitome of toxic masculinity? I don't know. Does the the demasculization of America affect the Harley Davidson culture, or vice versa? How do shows like Sons of Anarchy of the Mayans affect the opinions? with their depiction of what this ultra-masculinity is. First vilify, and then cancel. What about the lawyers? They banned lawyers from the dealership. I think, you know, I look out, I see a culture, and it's worse. It's worse being out of the industry. I didn't think it would ever get worse. Lawyer-wise, they suck. They so suck. It is... It's such a disgusting legalization. It's of of a of a ma. It's, it's it's to use the word mafia when you talk about lawyers is an insult to the mafia. <laughs> that's that's how I feel about it. It's horrible because they're legalized. You see these 
advertisements all over television. Every time you turn on the radio, you go down the road, it's billboard after billboard after billboard. How much is this culture that we live in? How much of the problems that we have, how much is impacted by these so-called lawyers? I mean, you say lawyers, people think of it as a profession. It's a friggin' industry. It's nothing but an industry, a way of making money at the cost, at, for, on the hardship and the heartbreak of others. That's what it is. And that's all it is. I'm sorry. People see some noble cause fighting things for lawyers. Bullshit. Some people put it on the line when they go out and protest and do things. Lawyers don't. They make money. Someone's paying them or they're bringing in a whole bunch of rain, man. That means business in lawyer talk. So that's why I, I, all these motorcycle lawyers, they're ambulance chases. Hey, when you get hurt, we're going to chase that ambulance till we get you to sign a retainer. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what they do, man. Let's call it what it is. Call it a spade a spade. And, and, and th- the whole specter of, yeah, we're going we're gonna to follow you wherever you go, dealerships, events, everywhere, because we know you are just riding for a fall. Yeah, that's, that's not something that I ever thought was a positive, not something that I ever thought was, was something that, was, that had any kind of a positive. Okay, meanwhile, <laughs> I, 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 always, I want to talk about rolling, man. Rolling with New York, Mike, is rolling with you. Well, I roll everywhere. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, okay, I was going to talk about things that count while we're focused we're focused on balloons and Super Bowls, okay? Fantasy football. How, how about fantasy politics? So talking about the ranch, of course, that's Yellowstone, right? I mean, today, what an impact. You can't get away from it. You can't get away from the fact that this show has, has just become a part of America's culture so fast. I mean, it's five years. I get it. They're in their fifth. So... Yellowstone, right? And while America has been absorbed by the phenomenon for five seasons, we're also, we've also seen a few seasons of 1883 and now the first season of 1923. Yep. While the New York Times has been rewriting history with its 1619 bullshit project, the story of how the West was settled and is being told right before our eyes is 1923. They, the New York Times can come out with all this crap. People can be talking about the nation built on the back of, of slaves. And all. If, if you haven't been watching 1923, you're missing one of the best depictions of what it's been like to build a life here in America. What the real investment is and has been, even as Yellowstone shows what it continues to be today. Okay, my view, which is always from 10,000 feet up, is it's not about the details, but the overview of the price paid by everyone involved. Okay, the good, the bad, the ugly, okay, the the whites, the Indians, the blacks, the Chinese, Italians, Polish, Irish, Brits, Germans, whoever cared, whoever dared. Who was or wasn't brave or scared? Men and women and children of all ages, okay? For people to come along and rewrite history the way that they're trying to do these days is sick. It's not just wrong. There's something sick about it. Coming up with this idea that anyone 
any one group. I don't care. And and everything is lumped into if you're white, uh, that's it, all white. What about the Germans? What about, what, and I'm talking about the 1700s, 1800s. I'm talking about the Irish. I'm talking about the Scandinavians. How about, how about the Italians? I think I talked about this last week. 1888 in, I think it was New Orleans. They lynched like 150, I think, I, I, I don't remember the, the exact number. It's kind of like hard to digest it all. But over 150 Italians, they lynched them. Yeah, lynching wasn't just whites on blacks. And how did they treat the Irish? All these groups that came here suffered, pay the price. But they also contributed to what America is. I started talking about books like Empire of the Summer Moon, about Quantum Parker, the rise and fall of the Comanches, the most powerful tribe in American history, or Red Cloud. I read, I, I, I have read so much in my lifetime about the West, how the West was settled, the pioneers, the Native Americans, the Indians, as we call them. And people just, they, they get caught up in this bumper sticker history or, the, or T-shirt history, and I see a T-shirt with, with a picture of the original um, with a domestic, whatever they're called. I, I don't know. As if the Indians were the first to protect America. It's like, hold on, America. It's like, <laughs> and people wear these shirts. They wear the Che Guevara shirts. They wear, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. And then, People think they know so much. Look, I'm not a, I don't have a, 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 a degree in this stuff because I never formalized all these. But at, at least I feel like I'm not just talking out of my ass with a bumper sticker. I'm not supposed, I, 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 I read enough to get a sense and a feel. And then you go out and you meet people. And especially if you're a biker, one of the things I love about Sturgis is being in those Black Hills, being amongst people from the tribes and 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 Prairie. I go to Prairie Edge. I love that store. It has so much of what it sells is made on the reservations. But you can't glamorize all this stuff. And you can't paint everything with this broad brush of, oh, slavery, which was horrible, terrible. And there's no, no way in the world you can explain it. Certainly not. It was a horrible thing, a stain on humanity. But it still exists today. It's not like it went away because Abraham Lincoln had the Emancipation Proclamation. We're going to emancipate all the slaves. Sure, here on the plantations in America, what about worldwide? The slaves that came here originated in Africa. They were slaves in Africa before they became here. They were not like free men that were tricked into jumping in boats and coming here and, <laughs> and, and then sold. No, they were sold in Africa. They were made slaves in Africa. And, and then they came here. That's still going on. How about the, the human trafficking, the slavery going on today at our border? Is anybody paying attention to that? Is anybody going to define that in the same way? When we talk about America and how this, this nation was forged, forged with like irons in a fire, okay, by those who braved the fire 
and will only survive. This country will only survive through the continuing efforts, not not just of unusual valor. Okay, that's always going to be there. I'm not making light of it. The 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 the, the unusual valor, the standouts. I'm telling you, I'm not making light of it. But it is always going to be there on the way to victory or on the way to defeat. The victors write the history books. So you're going to read about the bravery of Hercules, the bravery of Hector and Paris, and those stories are going to come about written by the victors. But what about when you lose? Who writes those stories? The victors. So, <laughs> so on, on the way to victory or defeat, but the everyday and ongoing heroism of the ordinary citizen, male and female, every color and every color, every creed, willing to do what it takes to forge ahead, to move forward with the confidence of believing in spite of fears and, in, and insecurity, okay? It's going to be there. There's always going to be those fears and there's always going to be that insecurity. But people, people who have that commitment, who are tough enough, are going forward in spite of that. It's not like they're fearless. What they're willing to do is be scared and still go on and get the job done. Today, we've been reduced to a nation, okay, that recalls every mistake that we might have made in a retrospective look at our history that condemns us to being an empire built on the backs of slaves. Our founders, the heroes of this great revolution against tyranny, being our heroes, those heroes are being vilified as slave owners, unworthy of adulation, but of ridicule and disrespect by a woke generation that called them and the capitalists who risked it all, along with the unnamed and unknown, and unknown who lost it all, including their lives and the lives of their loved ones, okay? They're, they're calling them criminals, greedy like oligarchs, racist, who benefited by exploiting the marginalized and the underprivileged, white supremacists who benefited by a capitalist economic system that's unfair at best, that built a country unworthy, guilty of pollution, a global climate, polluting a global climate that's an existential threat to planet Earth, a legal system that's as bad as the medieval system that, that it had led to the world dominance by the rich whose lives have been unduly enhanced by the suffering of black and brown people worldwide, by the use of religion and the fear of God to control the masses of those believers to serve the nefarious purpose of the fortunate. And it's crazy, but I'm telling you, by controlling the masses, okay, of believers, to serve the nefarious purpose of the fortunate, fortunate leaders, mostly of the Judeo-Christian right-wing worldwide, and of course, the worst offenders being the Jews, and this Israeli, they're, they're an Israeli nationalist, the Zionists. The rest of us, of, of course, okay, based on our history and our beliefs in the Almighty, our Creator, Except, of course, the Muslims, whose dark-skinned believers in Allah, who seem to lost the fight against, against modernity and the desecration of the climate, while supplying most of the planet with the dreaded fossil fuel and, and 
their amazing cities like Dubai and the Arab Emirates, Qatar, as as the wealthy of the world meet in fabulous ski resorts to form their new world order with their WEF, the World Economic Forum. And China gets a pass as India, okay, as India dances between the raindrops waiting to see who jo- who to join as they continue to thrive on the backs of their own slum dogs, which is the vast majority of the population of India, okay? And of course, India, China, Africa, and Russia are forgiven their climate trespasses by the, the wonderful Paris Climate Accords. And now the big question, well, the questions, why does the EPA ignore the train wreck that's not polluting Palestine, Ohio. Are you kidding me? They're saying it's not polluting. Yeah, they sent their people, they tested the air, they test, it's this this train wreck with all these incredible chemicals that you, you just see, you can see it with the naked eye, okay? But the EPA, FEMA, nobody's, nobody's doing it. They say, no, they're not. They're not going there. They're not doing it. Well, they're starting to get some people there, but certainly not the president, okay? He goes to the Ukraine and saying things in the Ukraine, okay? Saying things in the Ukraine like what Russia didn't think we, us, we would hold on this long. I mean, he has put us right there. With the Ukrainians. Now, it's it's no longer about Ukraine just fighting off the Russians. Nope. On President's Day, our president, President Biden, the president of the United States, on President's Day, he did not go to Ohio to, to, to make the, the people in Palestine, not Palestine, Palestine, Ohio, feel better. Didn't want to boost their spirits. Didn't want to. Nope. He went to the Ukraine. To boost their spirits, and by the way, a noble cause. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm not, and I'm not. I'm not vilifying the people in the Ukraine. I, they're they're heroes, okay. But what does it mean to us when our president goes to the Ukraine on President's Day and then to Poland? Well, the trip was ostensibly it was a trip to Poland where he was going to acknowledge the one year that the Ukraine is held out against Russia. It's not what I saw. I saw a president go to Ukraine instead of handling situations here in the United States, which need to be addressed, particularly, particularly, you know, the the polluting of Palestine. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, these people could have used some help. I know there was only just 4,700 of them. It's 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 not a whole, and the stage is a lot smaller. But he could always go to Ukraine. Not on President's Day, President. It is not our biggest priority right here in America on President's Day. That's where you show our biggest priority. Then you go overseas. It's important, and it's good that you did that. But then at the same time, I worry about it because I don't have a lot of faith in this feckless human being called Joe Biden that they put in there to be the president of the United States. I, I just, I, I have none. And then if you, if you want to see why, the same people that put in John Fetterman. And look at that. That's how I see these people, weak and, and they're tools of the left wing, which is communism. That's what these people are fighting for communism. 
to come to America to be the economic basis of, of our of our economy. That's what they want. That's who they are. They feel like they want to control the outcomes. They don't want to just say, everybody, okay, everybody in the starting line. Ready, set, go. No. They want to dictate, not that everybody has a fair start and a fair chance and a fair shot, as they call it. They want to dictate the outcomes. And that's the difference. That's what doesn't work. That's what we shouldn't be talking about, let alone letting in to our system of government. We have a capitalist system of government, and, and we want to avoid wars. Now, I listened to Biden's speech in Poland today. I didn't like his speech in the Ukraine. I didn't think it was worth anything. Okay, he went there. It certainly made the people of Ukraine give them hope. They've been fighting a horrible war for a year, and we've been helping them. But now I look at it, and I see, no, wait a minute. They've been fighting our war. Biden made it our war. They, we, we always talk about it. We, we've talked about it for a long time, being a uh, pseudo-proxy war. The pseudo's gone. There is no pseudo. There is no, yeah, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Oh, it's kind of sort of, uh, no, it's a proxy war. He made that with his statements yesterday in Ukraine and today. I did not hear one word that said Putin can end this war and this is a we. Why can't we end this war? Why, let's bring this war to a close. Let's all sit down together and agree and agree to a treaty, to a truce, to a, let's, I didn't hear that. I heard all about the fact that Ukraine and the people of Ukraine are so tough and strong and willing to fight. And yes, and that's great. But that's all I heard. And we lasted like the miracle of Hanukkah, where the light was supposed to last one day and it lasted eight. I mean, these guys lasted a whole year. It's a miracle. It's a wonderful miracle. It's a great story. But what we need, which would be a miracle based on what I'm seeing, is bringing everybody to the table and declaring peace. Let's let's stop this war. Let's stop the killing. And and yeah, everybody's okay. It's up to Putin to stop it. Well, then who are we? We're just going to feed the feed this war machine, or are we going to push Putin to stop it? Are we going to are we going to have some effect on Putin stopping this? You're not going to do it if you don't talk about it, if you don't say it, if you don't if you don't mention it when you fly halfway around the world and you don't even put it out on the table when you don't make it a demand when you don't when you don't shove it right in their face. Sure, Putin can stop it by going home. It's his war. But we've made it our war. I mean, everybody's saying, oh, it's so important now. Look, we got Russia on the run. Russia's losing the war. And we've sustained this war. We've been there. It's us. Biden made it about us. Us and the Ukraine. Us and NATO. That's what he did yesterday at the Ukraine. And that's what he did today in Poland. In Poland, he's at NATO. He's in a NATO country. NATO, by the way, is not pulling not pulling their own weight. They're not paying up their 2%. That's all we've asked. And we wouldn't know that if Donald Trump didn't didn't put his fist down and say, you got to pay your 2%. And he got a lot more than we ever had before. But we still don't have 2% except from a handful. Where are the rest of them? But Biden has made this a NATO war by going to Poland today and making that statement. Words have consequences. It means something. And there's a consequence now because Biden's opened that door and you can't you can't unring this bell. The president of the United States made this a NATO war. And this is exactly what Putin was afraid of. Yeah, be careful, Putin. Be careful what you uh, what you wish for, what you fight for. He claims 
And, and by the way, there's a lot of people that agree with this and understand his claims that he started this war because he saw NATO coming after him. And he saw that Ukraine was going to join NATO and be part of NATO. And that if, if, if at some point he felt threatened by the Ukraine for whatever reasons, he's already taken over the Crimea. And he wanted to do that. He wanted a warm water port, which he now has in the Crimea. And, and so if, if, if Ukraine wanted to take the Crimea back, which they've announced they want to do, and, and maybe they're entitled to, maybe they're not, I don't know. I hear different things from Ukrainian friends of mine. They say the people in the Crimea, they don't even speak Ukrainian. They all speak Russian. Even my Ukrainian friends speak Russian. <laughs> so there is some truth to that. I get it. But Putin has been saying that that's what's been frightening him. And now that Biden has gone to Poland, how much, maybe I shouldn't make the statement that it dragged NATO in. I should just make the statement of how I see it and do others see it the same way. We don't know yet. But has he made this into Ukraine being a faux NATO nation? They haven't joined NATO. And that's the only thing. That's the one thing that Putin absolutely said he, he wanted on the table. Is he a liar? Is he full of shit? Is he? Yes, yes, yes. But it was definitely the centerpiece of why he said he was going into Ukraine, because he was concerned about having a NATO nation on his border. And so what did we do today? And, and I'm not blaming the United States for being, I'm just blaming us for being weak and and having just just unprofessional <laughs> diplomats. Our State Department is is certainly not up to where it was under President Trump. It's just not. And so what does it mean that Biden chose on this President's Day to go to Poland? How are we that much closer to World War Three? Is that where we're going? Is that what we want? Another half a, what, half a billion dollars? Is that what he said he's given to Ukraine? Additional to whatever else we've, we've given to Ukraine? We are suffering here. We need help here. Our infrastructure, which that infrastructure bill they passed is nothing. It's nothing. Nine percent of it goes to infrastructure. Maybe we need some of that money spent here in our country. How about helping the people of Palestine rebuild? Yeah, I know. There's a third party involved. The railroad is the one who's at danger. But just like Ground Zero, you know, what happened for the two, three years it took to get the government to, you know, to take care of the families? What, what happens in between when you find those who are finally responsible and, and the people have to fend for themselves until that time? So if, if at some point the people of the city of Palestine go to court and take that railroad to court and they win, how long will that be? Three, five, ten years? We don't know. In the interim, why can't the government step up? And while they're stepping up, also, you know, set the pace, set the set the 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 agenda for what's proper. Whether is it buying everybody's house? Is it paying for, you know, some additional EPA and FEMA, whatever? Is it just buying everybody water? clean water for the next five i don't know what the answer is but do something even if it's wrong do something 
don't just sit there in denial. And I'm glad to see, you know, some some of the people from, you know, the EPA go there today, and there's uh, their senator and the governor of uh, the the governor of Ohio go there and drink the water and demonstrate there, you know, that that, that, that they believe that everything's clean. That's fine, but there are people that are hurting there, and they need more than that. And I think a half a billion dollars would have gone a lot longer way. We should be pushing our NATO partners and, and from the very beginning to pony up their fair share, their real share of what, what they should be putting in for this war, whether it's tanks and, and, and weapons, bullets, ammunition, whatever it is, and, and, and airplanes. Why, why is that all up to us? Why is it about F-16s? And not whatever the, the Polish army had that they were going to put up there. And Biden said no. Now it's going to turn around. Well, if we're going to make this commitment, if we're saying as a country we agree, okay, let's let Ukraine fight the war with their blood and treasure. And we'll put up our treasure behind it so we, we don't have to put in our blood. We don't have to have Americans dying in this war. But let's call it what it is now that now that that's cats out of the bag. Now that, you know, Biden's been to the Ukraine on President's Day, it's a proxy war. It's just plain and simply a proxy war. Is it us and NATO? Is it just us? Who's fighting this proxy war against against Russia? What's going on? Let's define it. Let's have that so-called transparency we're supposed to everybody's so fond of. Yeah, talking about, but I don't see any transparency from from this administration about anything. You know, they're they're still whining and complaining about their uh, equity and inclusion, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion. Well, what what the hell is that about? That's that's a war against white people. They're fighting that war too, and that's not a that's not a proxy war, or, or is it? You know, if if if, if if you're going to do this thing, President Biden, call it what it is. Say it. Ukraine is fighting a war on behalf of NATO. And we're supplying the guns, the ammunition, the food. Now he's paying the pension plans. Step up. Talk about it. And the, and the one thing, if you're going to do it, just do it. Don't dole it out in little pieces and have this thing drag on. The longer it drags on, the more lives are lost. And yeah, they're Ukrainian lives, they're not American lives. But we've seen some Americans over there. And we've seen some Americans lose their lives. And we don't want to see anybody lose their lives. We don't want to see the Russians keep losing their lives. We don't want to do in Ukraine, which is what we're doing, exactly what we've done at the border. Empowering the cartels. Partnering, in effect, with the cartels. We don't want to see that. What I want to see... If I was in Congress, if I had the influence on the Republican Party, and I'm not knocking the investigations of, you know, the FBI and the investigations that are ongoing about Hunter Biden and, you know, all the, all the rest of it. There's plenty of need for that. Or what would I want to see? I want to see Joe Biden impeached. Impeached now. Impeached for Afghanistan. Impeached for the border. Impeached for this economy. I mean, look, the guy's feckless as a statesman. What he's done foreign policy-wise, that's what people voted for. If they didn't know he was a total, complete idiot, and I don't like calling names, but he is. 
I, I can't point to anything else but his stupidity. But there's a whole bunch of people with him. I mean, it's not just him. So it, it, it's just, it's, it's hard to define what makes this guy do so many things that are wrong. But there's also things that are treasonous, like Afghanistan. Also things that are treasonous, like what he's done at the border. Also things that are treasonous, like stopping the energy industry, which is, and, and throwing out the vast amount of money that he has, which has caused this inflation, which is bringing us to the edge of a depression. And now I've said we're in a recession for a long time. I could be wrong, but we're damn close to a recession and we're also damn close to a depression. You want to define it one way or another? That's fine. It's scary times in America right now because of our president. And when they talk about high crimes and misdemeanors, I, that, uh, what's going on at the border are high crimes caused directly by Joe Biden. What went on in Afghanistan, not just the death of 13 Americans, the loss of Bagram, 85 billions, billion in, in, in weapons and, 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 and ammunition and everything else. And how about the 10 people that we killed, the 10 innocent people, the family, including seven children? Just it, it was the same thing of what he's done, the same thing as what he's done in shooting down three frickin balloons after he left the Chinese balloon trend to just just go right across all of America and do its job spying for how long for a week, for 10 days every day. And then it gets past where it had to be and he shoots it down. And then when he when he gets all that criticism, he goes and shoots down three. We, we don't even know what those balloons were and they still haven't defined them. What, what what was that all about? It's the same thing he did with that innocent family. He got the criticism for costing the lives of 13 service members. And what did he do? He decided to blow up a car that he claimed were terrorists. It turned out to be our friends, a family of 10, three adults and seven children. Innocent. It's the same thing. Now, if these aren't impeachable offenses, I don't know what are. Certainly not the offenses that the left tried Trump on. Those were ridiculous. A phone conversation? I don't even remember that. Oh, the other one was the, 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 the Russia Gate, Proven to be a lie. Proven after two years of the Mueller report. Come on, that was nothing. This, this is really substantial. And if you're waiting for somebody to say, oh, Joe Biden is not capable, he can't put two words together. I, I listened to all this stuff. I've listened to it for two years. I've listened to from Ronnie Jackson, who I know and like a lot. He's wrong. I've listened to it from Hannity. I've listened to it with so many other people. Joe Biden's kicking our ass. He's eating our lunch. Because all we want to do is point out that he trips over his own words. Yes, he's incapable. Yes, he can't put two words together. Yes, he walks like a stiff, I don't know what. That doesn't mean anything. You're not going to get them to take him out with the 25th Amendment. We now have the majority in Congress. It's the balls in our court. Call it what it is. Let's define it for what it is. High crimes and misdemeanors. Boom. That's what it is. What this man has done is treasonous. What this man has done, I don't care who pushed him to do it, whether it was Obama, the squad, I don't care. He's done it. It's his high crimes and misdemeanor. He's the president of the United States, and he's guilty. What he did in Afghanistan is treasonous to me. What he's doing at the border, this is no longer just a border problem. 
It's not whether we can define this as a crisis or not. Of course it's a crisis. It's more than a crisis. To those individuals who are dying, who are being taken as slaves. Yes, sex slaves, labor slaves, slaves. This is modern day slavery. This is in 1619. This is 2023. Boom. That's what's going on. And it's going on right in front. At some point, we're going to be guilty of not stopping it when we could. Sure, when we didn't have a majority, maybe maybe it was a little harder. I think people should have stepped up in a bigger way than they did. But now that we have the majority, what happens if we go the next six months and we don't impeach Biden? It's like, well, you accepted it. You didn't impeach the president. If you think the border was that bad, if you think Bagram and, and Kabul and Afghanistan was that bad, if you then you should have impeached them. If you didn't, well, that window's closed. That train left the station. The horse is out of the barn. I mean, call it what you want. The fact is, now is the time to impeach Joe Biden because we, we hold the reins. We're the ones who are in control of that. And, and, and we need this man and this administration condemned. That's what we should be doing. And who's going to decide whether this is a proxy war that we're fighting? And can we say it or not? I don't want to leave that in Joe Biden's hands. Let's get a real president and let's get that person, him or her, right now. I don't care if it's another Democrat. The one we have is is causing us great pain and great shame. So I'm New York Mike. Thanks for listening to Rolling With Me, New York Mike. <laughs> Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for being there. And by the way, um, Saturday, Saturday, February 25th, I'm supposed to have my uh, plaque installed on Mount Soledad. It might be postponed because of rain. Keep in touch. <laughs> if you're out there, you're planning on being out there. I really do appreciate it. God bless you. God bless you all. And God bless my wife, Katrina, for putting this whole thing together. Amazing. I'm New York Mike, and I'm out. Thanks for listening to Rolling with New York Mike. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to keep this podcast rolling.